who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. You are listening to episode five of Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Written and read by Nathan Lowell. Chapter 9, Betris Orbital, 2352, June 10. We docked in Betris only four days late. Our ballistic pass around the planet had given us a pretty good slingshot ride around and off at a tangent deeper in the gravity well of the system's primary. After we got the sail generators back up and running, we had to climb back out and renegotiate our approach to the orbital. Approach and docking had been routine, if subdued. Sitting there in environmental, we all knew our team was about to be broken up. It was good to be getting back to dock, but it was sad, too. The exact feeling was hard to put a finger on, sad to be leaving the ship we'd fought so hard for, glad to be alive to feel sad about it, a bit angry that our team was going to be broken up, but also a bit anticlimactic, maybe, that we'd been so close to dying, made being put ashore seem a lot less onerous. When we were on final approach, the who-goes-first routine of assigning watch sections got a bit awkward. Brill picked second watch and then looked at Francis. He took first and left third for Diane. I'm sorry, Ish, but you're going to be relieved shortly after docking, and I want the new guy with me tomorrow morning. Figured, I said, and shrugged. We secured from navigation detail about 1745. Francis took the watch, and he shook my hand as I left, no longer a watchstander. You've done good, Ish, he said gruffly. I headed for the hatch, figuring to pack my duffel. I didn't know when I'd be going or how much time I'd have to prepare, but it paid to be ready. Most of the crew was either on watch or at dinner. The captain hadn't declared liberty yet because she was checking with the company people and the insurance reps. They were dithering about when and how and apparently even if they wanted to interview the crew. In the meantime, everybody was hanging fire and taking advantage of the free meal. It made it easier, a bit, to pack the duffel. It reminded me of my move into engineering from deck. Nobody in either space and I was kind of at loose ends until Burl had burst in and made me go shopping. I grinned at the memory. We'd traveled a long road in a few weeks. I finished cleaning out then and just sat the bag back in the locker, slamming the door. I didn't know when or where, but I was about as ready as I could be under the circumstances. Nothing for it but to go to Chow. The mess deck was a buzz, but there wasn't anything unusual in that. After the first few days, we all felt a bit closer, I think. 
Several people smiled and nodded in my direction as I made my way to the mess line, some of them sadly, some of them with hopeful expressions. I was holding up pretty well myself. We were here, it was happening, grace under pressure and all that. Cry in the flitter on the way home, my mother used to say. It seemed silly at the time, but now I thought I could appreciate it a bit more. Cookie had pulled out all the stops with his spicy, sizzling beefalo. It was probably my favorite meal of all the ones he made, and I got a little pang, thinking he probably knew that. I wondered if he'd done it on purpose. I almost lost it then, but Sarah was smiling at me as she was serving, and she looked up at me and said, Trust Lois, before going back to her work. It all happened so fast, I wasn't even sure I'd seen it. I moved on to Pip, who was looking as chipper as he could under the circumstances. The cut on his head was almost healed, but he was still looking a little worse for wear. We just shrugged at each other. What was there to say? I settled at a table with Bev and Ron. I didn't see either Diane or Brill, and I knew Francis would have come and gone already. What with packing and all, it was near the end of the dinner hour. Hey, Ish, Ron said. Any word yet? No, nothing yet. But he's supposed to be reporting ASAP. I'm not officially detached yet, but it's probably only a matter of time. Bev just looked at me. If you get put ashore, you won't be crew anymore, she said with a kind of huskiness in her voice. Ron gave Bev a glance and then looked at me rather speculatively herself. Oh, she said, that's true. You won't be crew. Bev actually growled in the back of her throat. Not a word, just a growl. Even I knew it was a warning. Ron looked at her and kind of settled back into her seat. I confess I rather liked the feeling it gave me. Then my tablet bipped and the spell was broken. I looked at my dinner and then pulled the tablet out. As I feared, it was the captain, but I had a half a stand before I had to be there. Time enough to finish dinner. The whole while, Bev watched me eat with a little smile on her face. I liked it, but Ron found it a bit unsettling, I think. At the appointed time, I presented myself in the cabin. The usual suspects were gathered at the captain's table, and she wasted no time. Mr. Huang, your replacement has not yet reported, but we have a little problem. It seems we're short-handed, quite literally, with Miss Belterson's broken arm. Miss Avril has covered her watches while we got turned around and docked, but I need my second mate back. She paused then, and I hated what she did that, because I never knew if she was waiting for me to say something or just catching her breath. How can I help, Captain? I asked. That, apparently, was what she wanted, because she continued. We still have no open berth aboard, but we have a temporary requirement to cover the port duty watch rotation. We could just double up, but if you'd be willing to stay aboard for a few more days and help out, that would give us much more time to see if we can work something else out. Well, yes, sir, I'd be happy to. We're likely to be kept in Betris beyond our planned stay in order to effect repairs, Mr. Huang, just so you're aware. She turned to Mr. Kelly and asked the question I knew she already knew the answer to. How long do you think, Mr. Kelly? Oh, at least five days, probably six. Could be as much as ten. Depends on parts availability, Captain, he said smoothly. He had a little smile in the corner of his mouth. I could see it, and he didn't try to hide it from me. Mr. Maxwell, she said, would Mr. Huang be an acceptable temporary replacement for portside duty? I believe he will serve, Captain, he said without even looking at me. Well, then, Mr. Huang, will you accept a temporary promotion to able space or assigned to deck division for the duration of our stay? Well, yes, Captain, I will, I said without hesitation. I had no idea what was going on here, but something was. When these three started looking like this, there was always something. It was, after all, the lowest. Mr. Maxwell, please enter that in the ship's records. Mr. Maxwell hit the enter key on the tablet in front of him. He'd had the transaction ready to go. Done, Captain. Thank you, Mr. Maxwell. She turned to Mr. Kelly. Do you have anything you wish to add, Mr. Kelly? Yes, Captain, he said, and turned to me. Thank you, Mr. Huang. It's been a pleasure having you and my crew for the last few weeks. Thank you, sir. I've found it to be a very rewarding experience. 
The captain said, Very well then, Mr. Huang, you're dismissed. If you'd report to Mr. Von Nichols in the ship's office at your earliest convenience, please give him my compliments and notify him that you are on second watch section for the duration of our port stay. I sir, I said. Thank you, sir. Well, thank you, Mr. Huang. Dismissed. I left the cabin thinking that these people were some of the sneakiest, most conniving people I'd ever met. I still had no idea what they were up to, but I was perfectly willing to be the audience participant in their little magic show. Mr. Von Nichols smiled when I presented myself at the office and said, Abel Spacer Huang reporting with the captain's compliments, sir. I'm to tell you I'm assigned to second watch section for the duration of our port stay, sir. Very good, Mr. Huang, he said smoothly, picking up his cues. I felt like I should pay attention to his hands because I had a feeling that the magic trick was about to be sprung. Second watch starts at 0600 and you will assume gangway watch at that time. Do you have any questions, Mr. Huang? Well, no, sir. Very well, Mr. Huang. Since you're now temporarily assigned to deck division, please move from engineering berthing and find a suitable accommodation in deck. When you're done, notify the officer of the day so that we can find you in the morning. Right away, sir. I'm already packed. Oh, he said with an arch smile. But you think you were going somewhere, Mr. Huang? Well, I'd heard a rumor to that effect, sir. Yes, I said with a grin. Don't believe everything you hear, Mr. Huang. Dismissed. He was grinning. I just knew something was in the works. Oh, one thing, sir, I asked. Yes, Mr. Wong, he answered. Is there a course in sneakiness at the academy, like Sneaky 101 or something? I asked him. No, Mr. Wong, he said seriously. Sneaky 101 would be a freshman-level course, and that wouldn't be something you could teach at that level. Thank you, sir, I said. It was just an idle thought, I told him. I quite understand, Mr. Wong, he said. On my way out the door, he said quietly, it's Sneaky 450. That's an upper-level course. He winked as I closed the door behind me and went to move back to deck. When I got to deck berthing, there wasn't quite a party going on. There were a lot of people betting that the captain would declare liberty before 2100, and I suspected they were right. We'd be in port a long time, though, if what the captain had just said were true, and I wondered how many people knew it. There were a lot of catcalls when I walked into deck berthing with my duffel bag, and a lot of good-natured jibing about not being able to get rid of me, but I got a sense that they were pretty much glad to see me, even if only for a few more days. I looked around and had my choice of about four lowers and one umper. Uppers were popular in deck for some reason. The upper was above Ron Sham and across from Fong Shi Pa, one of the astrogators. It was a lower across from Sean Gresham, but I knew the Coed Crochet team used that as a kind of informal workspace, and there was also a lower under Tabitha and Beverly was on the other side of the partition. That might work. There was a lower under Pip and across from Beverly. I didn't trust myself there. I had a bad case of Bev, and I wasn't sure I could handle that even for a few days in port. The other was on the end and against the bulkhead. Arthur James, a spacer apprentice, had the upper, and Sally Green, a cargo handler, was the lower across, and the upper was Dave Bendower, an ordinary spacer. I knew them all, of course, from my mess deck days. They were hanging out in their bunks, waiting for liberty, and welcomed me warmly when I came in. I cursed myself for being a coward and not taking the lower next to Beverly all the while. Ah, well, a few more days. But... Then I remembered that the cast from the little theater of the McKendrick had just put on an excellent one-act play not that long ago and began to hope that Lois would work another miracle. As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. 
They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. Chapter 10, Betris Orbital, 2352, June 11. Sean Grishin woke me at 05.15. He grinned at me. You're still here, he whispered. For the moment, I told him with a smile. I'm glad, he said, and left away the next person on his list. I crawled out of the bunk, stubbing my knee on the deck. After almost a year in an upper bunk, getting used to the lower was going to take some doing. Shower, ship suit, coffee, pastry. Only difference in this watch was that I was headed to the main lock instead of down to the environmental section. Fong was on duty when I got there, and it was good to see him. He was one of those people on the other side of the watchstander merry-go-round. There were a dozen or more people I only knew from the mess line and never saw, and Fong was one of them. What always astonished me was his red hair and his blue eyes. Freckles didn't hurt either. You expected him to be named Patrick O'Reilly, not Fong Shipa. Parents are like that. He smiled when I came to relieve him. Hey, he said, I heard you were joining second section. Yeah, nobody wants to keep me, I joked. Can you give me the quick tour? What do I need to know that's not in the standing orders? Oh, it's easy, he said. These are the camera controls, so you can see what's outside before you open the lock. These controls over here control the actual lock itself. The inner door override gets set automatically when we dock, but you can manually enable it if you need to. He pointed out the very simple controls, all neatly labeled. All the crew, of course, have their own access, but visitors show up occasionally. Officers from other ships, usually. So, I'm basically the doorman, I asked. Yep, he grinned, that's it. If there's a more boring job on this ship, I don't know what it is. Don't say that, I warned him. Next week you'll have it. He chuckled at that. There was more truth than fiction there, he agreed. Only other thing is, if you need to leave for any reason, call the messenger to relieve you. If all you want is coffee or something from the mess deck, the messenger's supposed to get it for you. But the only thing you really need to do for yourself is pee. Everything else, ask the messenger. What about mass adjustments? Oh, you've been through the drill enough on that side of the desk. Stand them on the scale, grab their ID, book them in, book them out. The systems handle the reconciliation. The only odd stuff is when you have to book mass to the ship or somebody not there on the scale. He pointed to an icon on the console. That's the mass adjustment. Use your judgment. Only hard rule is everything gets booked to somebody. Anybody goes over allotment, it's not your problem. The system will flag them and command will deal with it. That was all familiar from my able spacer exam, but it was good to have it confirmed. Ms. Avril is officer of the day. Art James is your messenger. Anything you don't know, ask one of both of them. Art probably won't know, but Ms. Avril's nice. She knows you're stepping in to help out, and if it weren't for you, she'd be out here, he said with a grin. Expect her to come down in a half a stand or so to see how you're doing. Thanks, Fong. It sounds too easy, but I'm not going to argue. He grinned. Boredom is never easy, and you're here for the next 12 hours, so I hope you get a lot to do on your tablet and you find that chair comfy. 
We both laughed at that, but I was eyeing the chair before he was out of sight. It didn't look that comfy, and I sighed. Yeah, it's only for a few days anyway, I told myself. One thing I hadn't anticipated was the traffic going in and out. Fong talked about it being boring, but I really enjoyed watching the comings and goings. It wasn't long before I saw Jillian Avril, second mate, coming down the passage toward me. I stood as she approached. Good morning, sir, I said. Hello, Ish. Welcome to the second section. I understand you'll only be here while we're in port. That's what I was told, sir, and I'm happy to help out while Sandy's recuperating. What will you do after that, Ish? she asked. I shrugged. I don't know, sir. Maybe set up a permanent residence in the flea market. She recognized the joke, and I was sorry. I hadn't had a chance to get to know her better. Speaking of people on the other side of the merry-go-round, she was on the other side of the planet from where I'd spent my time aboard. Well, ring the ship's office if you have any questions or if anything seems out of the ordinary. You can bit me on my tablet. Your messenger's Art James, and you can call him by bipping him, too. I know you've never stood this watch before, but if you can handle environmental, I'm pretty sure you can handle the lock. I'd rather you bore me over nothing, she started to say, and I finished with, than not bother you with something. We laughed. Standard watch, standard rule everywhere, isn't it, sir? True-ish, true, she smiled. I was on the bridge the other day. You did an amazing job getting that network back up. Well, thank you, sir. I just did what needed doing. She grinned and shook her head. Well, you did it when it needed to be done, so thanks. She gave me a little smile and a wave and headed back down the corridor. She looked almost as good going away as Alvarez, and I wondered idly if it was a trait of second mates. I shook that idea out of my head as soon as it hit, settled back to take a watch. Around 0900, the call alarm sounded, and I looked out the camera to see what was ringing our bell. An average-looking blonde guy wearing the green and gold of Federated Freight and a duffel over his shoulder was smiling up into the pickup like he was expecting me to be looking. I half expected him to wave. Visitor protocol required me to go out and greet him, so I slipped open the small lock and went out to say hi. He smiled as I walked out to him, and he stuck out his hand. Hi. I'm Spec 3 Environmental, Charles Colby. I think I'm expected. Hi, I said, and I shook his hand. I'm Ishmael Huang. Welcome to the Lois McKendrick. Hang on just a sec while I check with the OD. Oh, you betcha. He handed me his data chip, and I slotted it into my tablet. It contained instructions to report to the Lois on Federated Freight Letterhead, so I bipped it to Miss Avril's tablet with an inquiry on disposition. It came back instantly. Messenger on his way. I nodded to the lock. Come on aboard. By the time we got back to the watchstander station, Art was already there and took him in tow. Good luck, I told him with a smile. Art looked at me funny then, but it wasn't this Charles Colby's fault that he was assigned to the Lois. I hope people weren't going to take it out on him. I settled down then and pulled up the station net ship status report to see who was in. No names I recognized and no open berths I qualified for. I shrugged and pulled open the messmen instructional materials. If I was going to have to sit here, I may as well work on rounding out my collection. I was kind of afraid I might have to use them. The people in and out of the lock really didn't bother my studies. Everybody knew the drill, and it all moved along easily enough. Art came back just before lunch. Hey, Ish, you want first or second? What's that mean? When cookies start serving, do you want first dibs, or do you want me to eat quick and come and relieve you? I shrugged. Which is better? You've been sitting here for the last six stands, man. Let me eat quick, and I'll come out and sit here for a while. Take your time. Stop by breathing. Wash your face or something if you want. It's about the only break you'll get. Is that okay? I asked. Yeah. Most people just can't stand this job, and they drive the messengers crazy. You've been great. This has been the easiest portside watch I've pulled in a year, he said with a smile. Let me eat first, and you can take your time. It'll be fine. Oh, okay. You're on. Thanks. I could use a change of scenery. I'll see you in a bit, he said, as he patted back down the passage. He was as good as his word and was back in what seemed like a few heartbeats. He was still chewing when we did a temporary relief entry in the log, according to SOP, and I headed for the mess deck. It did feel good to get up and stretch. I just relished not being in the lock. 
It gave me a whole new perspective on the watchstanders that I'd been walking past all those weeks. While I was sitting there, Brill brought Colby in for lunch. She smiled when she saw me and gave a little shrug to my raised eyebrow. After they'd gotten some food, I nodded at the empty chairs at my table in invitation. We were the only ones in the mess deck, and it was a logical choice. Brill looked a bit uncomfortable, which I thought was a bit odd. I thought that if anybody should be uncomfortable, it should be me. Colby still wore his affable smile and sat down with an odd flourish, plunking his food down, leaning on the table and swinging a leg over the back of the chair like he was mounting a horse or something. I thought if he did that with a full crew in the mess, he'd kick somebody in the head. Brill said, C.C., I believe you've met Ishmael Wong. He smiled in my direction with a nod. Oh, yeah, he brought me aboard. Brill turned to me and asked, So, how's life in second section? I chuckled, Well, it's a little soon to say. It hasn't been a whole day yet. I have to say, twelves on the gangway are going to be a challenge. She nodded sympathetically at that. Well, perhaps it'll be more interesting watching people struggle back in the early morning, she said with a grin. I turned to Colby and asked, So, how are you adjusting, Charles? Oh, please call me C.C., he said. It's been interesting so far, nothing I haven't seen before, of course. It doesn't look too much different than the Nora. The Nora, I asked. I was carrying the conversation, and I wondered what Brill was thinking. She didn't look happy, but she didn't look as upset as her silence indicated that she might be. Yes, the Nora Owen. She's a sister ship to the Lois. They were both built together, actually, in adjoining docks. Well, that must make it easy to find your way around, I said. Mostly, he replied with a wry grin. There are enough differences in deck plan that I have to be a little bit careful. That part's disconcerting. When you come around a corner expecting to find a water intake valve and it's a scrubber manifold, your brain does a little hiccup, he added. C.C. will probably be standing watch solo next time. He knows the drill as well as you do, Brill said. I didn't think she meant to say that because she gave a little wince. C.C. caught it too. As well as you do, he asked curiously. You're familiar with environmental? Yeah, I answered. I held that slot since Gregor left the ship in St. Cloud. And you're on gangway watch now, he asked. I thought that was a deck job. It is. The normal watchstander broke her arm. I'm filling in while the ship's here in port and Sandy's arm heals. Then what, he pressed. I wondered if he understood what he was asking. Well, then I get put ashore and have to find a new berth, I told him calmly. I could see the recognition in his face. You mean I'm bumping you out of your berth? Brill sat up then and answered, Yes, he see, you're bumping him. We got word when we picked up the beacon on our first approach just before we ran through the CME residue. He looked genuinely sorry. That's a raw deal, he said. But I thought I was replacing an engineman. That's what I was when I took the slot, I told him. What are you rated now, he asked. Which division, Brill asked him with a proud little grin. Which division what? Cece asked, looking a little confused. He's rated in all the divisions, Brill told him quietly. Cargo handler, food handler, spec two, environmental spec two systems, I said matter-of-factly. She looked at me when I said the last one. When'd you get systems? Last week, Mr. Von Nichols gave me a field test on the bridge, I told her. I got a very serious, you've been holding out on me look from her then. Cece recovered enough to say, so I'm confused. He looked at me. You earned spec two since St. Cloud? He should have been spec one, Brill said, before I could reply. Miscalculation. Wow, he said appreciatively. That was only a couple months ago, and you went from Edgeman to spec two? I shrugged. I worked hard. I had a lot of help. Took me a year, and that was just spec three to spec two. Do you have a lot of background in environmental, he asked. No, I said. I'm just good with sludge. I said it with a straight face. But you just said you're being put ashore. The Lois has no open slots, he asked. I shook my head. We don't get much turnover. He considered that for a time while we ate. I was becoming conscious of the time, and I needed to get back on watch, but I hated to be rude. Well, with your ratings, why don't you bump somebody? He asked finally. I shrugged. It's my problem to deal with. I'm not going to foist it off on a shipmate just because the regs say I can. He grinned and said, Wuss. I think he meant it as a joke, but Brill slapped the table. Hard. And called for Mr. Colby.
Cece looked like he'd been hit with a brick. He rocked back in his seat at the vehemence of Brill's response and held up his hands, palm out. I'm sorry, he said instantly, and maybe even sincerely. I didn't mean anything by it. That's okay, B, said. I've been called worse. Not in front of me, you haven't, she snapped, still angry. Sludge monkey, I asked. I caught her blindside with that, and she barked out a laugh. Okay, you win. She started to relax. I'm sorry, Cece, she said after a moment or two. This has been a stressful week for us. No, I'm sorry, you're right. It was uncalled for. I spoke without thinking. I sighed. We've all had a rough time lately, C.C. We're all strung a little tight. He considered us for a moment before replying. I can see that. I glanced at the chrono and realized I needed to get back on watch. I ate the last bite and excused myself. Nice talking with you, C.C., I said with a chuckle. See you around the mess deck, B. Cookie put out a big plate of cookies, and I snagged a few, along with a fresh mug of coffee to take back to watch with me. Sarah was in the galley reading something on her tablet, but smiled and waved back when I waved at her. Brill and Cece didn't say anything to each other before I left the mess deck. I just gave him a little salute with my coffee mug on the way out the hatch. I sighed and went back to resume my watch. About 14.30, Sandy Belterson came back aboard. The medics had come to take her off as soon as we docked, and she'd spent the night in the orbital's clinic. We had the auto-dock for emergencies just like that, and she'd already had the quick-net treatments long before we clawed our way back to the orbital. Hey-ish, she said when she saw me on watch. Fancy meeting you here. How does all happen? I shrugged. I don't know. The captain offered me temporary duty on second section until you're well enough to stand watch. Until I'm well enough to stand watch, she asked. Yeah, with your broken arm and all, you're on no duty status. I am? She asked. Well, that's what they implied. They said you wouldn't be able to stand gangway watch with your broken arm and offered me the job so I could stay aboard while the ship's getting repaired. They did? Yeah. Well, tell me, does this seem odd? In what way, I asked. Well, you've been sitting here since, what, 0600? Well, yeah, why? Have you had anything you couldn't have done one-handed? She asked. I thought about that for a long moment. They wouldn't, would they? I asked. Sandy just shook her head. This group? Hard telling. But if I'm on no duty, I'm certainly going to milk it for all it's worth. <laughs> just for fun, I pulled up a record, and she was flagged as no duty injured, big as life. I showed her the record. Enjoy it, I guess, I told her. She pursed her lips a little as she considered it. Miss Avril's got the watch, she asked. Yeah, she said she'd be in the office. Well, she said with an elaborate show of straightening her sling, I better go make sure she knows I'm back. I have it on good authority that they teach sneakiness at the academy, I told her. She laughed at that. Well, if they do, I know who wrote the book for it. Anybody asks, I'm back and I'm still injured. Okay, Sandy, get well soon, I said. I think I'll get well when they tell me I'm better, she said with a little grin. She headed down the passageway into the ship and gave me a little wave with her broken arm. Thanks for listening to Full Share, a trader's tale from the golden age of the Solar Clipper. Music is from the Fox Hunters, an Irish slip jig, originally recorded in 1984 by James Curran and available on the Internet Archive at www.archive.org. This has been a presentation from Durandus, offered under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 2.5 license. For website and more information on the Golden Age, visit www.durandus.org/golden.